Happy Palm Sunday. It's uh, like Chad was saying earlier, it's, there's seems to always be chaos in our world, doesn't there? But we, have, we, we know someone. And that someone that we're going to talk about today is in the last words, and Judy, could we go to the slide? Um, uh, what I did is I compiled all of the um, Gospels together. But if we can go to the last one, where they are talking about who, um, who is this? Who is this? And the funny thing is, is that we have to ask the same questions of ourselves. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this man? Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. 2,000 years later, we still have to answer the question, who is this? Who do you say he is? Many of you would say he's Jesus. I understand that. What does that mean? This is Jesus. And it said that the town was in an uproar. Wow. The Pharisees were saying that, look, everyone has gone after him. They also said, when he was coming in, and the Pharisees said, hey, rebuke, rebuke your followers. Do you know what they're saying? Do you know what they're saying? What are they saying? What are they saying about Jesus? When they said Hosanna, Hosanna is an interesting word. In the Hebrew, it actually means please save. Please save us now. Please save us. So they're singing Hosanna. The Pharisees know. What do they know? They know that this man that's riding in on a colt is the Messiah. He's claiming to be the Messiah. You need to stop them. Don't allow them to keep doing this. Rebuke them. And Jesus said, if I stop them, even the stones know who I am. So who is this? Who is this? So what, here are basically two things I'd like you to, to take away from this. Who is this that we're talking about today? Jesus. And who am I in relation to, in relation to him? So as we ponder those two questions, let's pray for a moment to start, shall we? Dear Lord, wow, you are an amazing God. You put yourself in a position of scorn, ridicule, hatred. You were spit upon, you were called names. You were, well, the things that happened to you, actually, Lord, um, we can't even begin to explain the indignities that you've gone through for to come here. And Lord, we are so thankful that you came. 
And we thank you that we can gather here together to encourage one another to maybe learn a couple of things about you. And we pray this week that you would use them in our lives to, uh, to make us love you more, bring us near to you, help us in our words and our actions to reflect you to those that we're around. Because, Lord, we live in a chaotic world and we don't know what's going to happen this week, but you do, and you're going to be with us. And we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is this? Judy, could we go ahead and move to that slide? Well, the people were saying it's Jesus in Matthew. In Luke, it says, Jesus, the prophet from uh, Nazareth in Galilee. In John, it says, um, Bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hail to the king of Israel. Hosanna. Hosanna has some other implications to it. that I find that's quite interesting. Maybe that may be a response to um, the people that were under the Roman rule and they were going, please save us now. Save us from the Romans. Some of us, it's getting close to tax time. We're probably saying, save us now. (laughs) Save us from the IRS. (laughs) We kind of get that same feeling, don't we, (laughs) about this time of the year. Um, We would like to be saved, definitely. Um, Governments can be repressive at times. And maybe that's what they were saying when they were saying, save us, save us from Rome, save us from the government, save us. I find it interesting that in, um, that, if we can go to the next slide, Judy, where it says that who did the people of Jerusalem believe Jesus to be? Right? Nice. Thank you. Uh, look, your king is coming right now on a donkey. Now that is a, uh, is a reference to Zechariah 9.9. Everyone that had gone to synagogue or has gone to uh, be taught by the rabbis, the rabbis had talked about the, the hope of the Messiah, the hope of uh, the coming of the Messiah, this is it. It's basically saying that when you see your king riding on a, go- on a donkey's colt, you will know this is the Messiah. So they knew that Jesus was claiming to be Messiah. And as they were looking at this, they were thinking, wow, someone has finally come to save us from Roman occupation. And they're thinking about their past because not too many years before, in um, 198 B.C., um, Judas Maccabeus had liberated um, the uh, Israelite people from the Greek um, government that was there at the time. Of course, their freedom only lasted a few years, but they did have freedom from the um, Greeks. And so they were thinking, maybe someone is going to come like Judas Maccabeus that would save us. 
And so that, that, that expectation was there. And they were expecting. And as I was uh, thinking about this, I thought about the, remember the two men that walk, uh, are walking to Emmaus after Jesus is crucified and he's, um, he raises from the dead. I'm sorry, that was kind of a spoiler alert, wasn't it? Um, that's next week, huh? He raises from the dead. Sorry, I didn't mean to mess up Cliff's uh, sermon. But um, what happens is these two men walk to Emmaus, and one of them says something that's very poignant, and I think it really um, says what they thought at the time. He said, um, and this is um, Cleophas, he's saying that in, in Luke 24, um, 20, he said, but our leaders and our priests and our other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to, to be condemned to death and to be crucified. And on 20, verse 21, here's what he says. We had thought he was the Messiah. We had thought he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. We had thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the one that was going to rescue Israel. Um, and that's in uh, Luke 24, 21. So that was their expectations. They knew what was going on. Jesus wrote in, the Messiah's come. We're going to be saved. We're going to be saved. But many times... God's ways are not our ways, are they? And so they thought that he came to liberate them from this political system. And Jesus was going to liberate people far deeper than that. And for those of us that are interested in politics, politics are interesting, but they're never going to save us. There's no way they can. Because our problem transcends politics. Our problem transcends pretty much everything. Don't we? Don't we know that? I mean, I do. Get, you know, it doesn't take much, does it? Just drive out the parking lot. And you know what your problem is, right? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take a lot. Get out of my way. Get off the road. Why can't you learn to drive? <laughs> Stuff like that, right? It doesn't take us much. It doesn't take much for us. You know? Or if we're inconvenienced somehow. Or something happens that we're not expecting. Wow. We know what our problem is, that, don't we? Don't we know what our problem is? Is really a political system going to save us? Can it? Can it change that when I drive out? Does it, will it change who I am? Will it change my heart? Will it change me on a fundamental level? No. No. And I'm glad that Jesus said, no. No, I'm not going to come here to save you from a political system. No. No, I'm not. I'm going to come in a different way. 
and I'm going to fundamentally change my people. Fundamentally change us from the very inner core of who we are. That's, that's the person you know that no one else sees. That person. That's who he's going to change. So, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but um, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, do we know what gate he came in? How did he get into the city? I took that picture of the eastern gate. Um, Do you see the eastern gate in the middle there? It's all um, pretty well um, cemented in, basically. It's bricks and cement. It's been cemented closed. Yeah. Um, Did he come through that gate? Now that gate is called the beautiful gate, the golden gate. The golden gate. It's the eastern gate. And according to Ezekiel 44, they had, a, they had a tradition that believed that God would appear in this, through this gate. So they believed that God's presence would appear through this gate. And oddly, they believed that the Messiah would also come through that gate that you saw a picture of. Did he come through that gate? Could very well have been. Ezekiel 44 says, Then the man brought me back to the east gate and the outer wall of the temple area, but it was closed. And the Lord said to me, The gate must remain closed. It will never again be opened. No one will ever open it and pass through. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered here. The Lord, the God of Israel, has entered here. Therefore, it must remain shut. Now, the picture I showed you, could we go back just a minute, Judy? The picture I showed you earlier, that picture, now that's a wall that was built uh, by Justinian I in 520. I think most people call it the Crusades. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) But that's what they were doing. They were rebuilding the city. That's what the Christians were doing. Here's kind of an an interesting fact. The gate was sealed up in 1541 by the Ottoman Empire. The Muslims closed it. They shut it. They cemented it closed, and the reason why, and this is interesting, they didn't want the Messiah to come through the gate. Yeah. Yeah. The Ottoman Empire, they believe that the Jewish tradition and that the Jews are still expecting the Messiah. So what they decided is that, not on our watch. We're going to cement that thing up, and that's going to keep the Messiah from coming. And not only did they do that, but the interesting thing is, is that they put a cemetery. I don't know if you can see, but there's, all in front of the gate, there's just thousands, thousands of tombs. And they buried people there because Jewish people can't touch dead bodies without defiling themselves. So it's going to keep them from coming into the gate. Interesting, isn't it? And you just look at that and go, wow, I didn't know that story. It's amazing what history, (laughs) how much stuff history has. But 
the interesting thing I think about this is that, do you really think that's going to keep the Messiah out? Really? <laughs> is it that we don't know who the Messiah is? I mean, God can do amazing things. He could easily go, it's open, and everything disappears, <laughs> and he walks through, and he pulls up the bodies and, and, and brings them back to life and goes, I'm coming through with my people. They're coming with me. So, that could very well be the gate that Jesus came to, and that's the gate that looks right out onto the Mount of Olives. Now, there is one other possibility, and this is kind of cool, too. They're both very cool, and I like that. Judy, could we go to the slide? Yeah, thank you. Now, if you see the red line, that would be the one going into the Golden Gate, or the one we just talked about, the Eastern Gate. Now, the one on the back side where it says 21A, now that is called the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate. Now, the sheep gate is where, do you, what do you think they're going to bring in there? Sheep, and everything that's going to be sacrificed in the temple is going to go through that gate. Now, some people believe that Jesus might have come through the sheep gate, which is really, I don't know about you, but that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up because, hold on here, what are we talking about? We're talking about them bringing in the sheep that are going to be slaughtered, right, in the system that believes I have to go yearly to have an animal slaughtered to cover my sins, right? To cover. And it it points back to um, the Adam and Eve when they, after they had sinned in the garden and it said that the Lord clothed them in animal skins. Do you remember? Well, the reason why is because God sacrificed an animal, one for each of them, and then clothed them with that animal's skin. And it was just going to cover. It was just going to cover them. It's not the payment. It's just the covering. That's the best that could be done. That's the best that can be done until what happens? Until one comes riding a donkey's colt, the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, something's different. It's no, longer, it's no longer a covering. No, no, no. No, it's no longer a covering. What is it? It's a payment in full. And that payment is going to change us from our very inside out. That's what's going to happen. So it's cool to think That the animals that go through the the sheep's gate that are covering sin, the ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate sacrifice. The one who can pay it. I don't know about you, but I run into a lot of people that think, well, if I just do enough good things, maybe I can make it. Maybe if... If I'm kind of good, and maybe I know some people, maybe God will go, well, all right, come on in. I'm sorry, but God doesn't doesn't do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> the fly, I know, it's kind of weird. Um, but God doesn't do that. He's not going to say, oh, it's okay, come on in, you're close enough. No, there isn't any close enough. There is ones that are, have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and there are those that are not. There is no in-between. I'm sorry. I wish, you know, that's not very PC of me. I realize that. But I'm not the one that made up the rules. I'm just talking about them. I'm just talking about the way he does things. God's ways, like I said earlier, God's ways are not our ways. And I'm glad. And I praise God that they're not. So through the sheep gate, here comes the sheep that would normally get slaughtered to cover sin, and in comes the ultimate payment, the only payment that God will accept. That's the only currency God takes. Did you hear that? That's the only currency that God takes. He won't take any other currency. There's no other payment he'll accept. I'm not accepting it. You can, you can do your good works. No payment. You're just doing what I've been calling you to do. You're supposed to be doing good works. You're all supposed to be doing good all the time. You're supposed to be perfect, are you not? But we're not. We're not even close to perfect. My perfection will run out as soon as I'm, well, it probably already has. I was going to say before I even leave the parking lot, but I'm sure it's going to, my perfection's. I, I'm not even perfect now. But what payment? So in comes the ultimate payment for the sins of his people. We can never pay it. He's the ultimate sacrifice. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of his people. Amen to that. Who do the Pharisees say Jesus is? Who do they think he is? I think they were asking that question. Who do you think you are? Was that what they were asking? Who do you think you are? Well, when the Pharisees were objecting, who were they saying he was? They were saying, you're coming in on a donkey's colt. They're singing, Hosanna. You're coming through the gate that the Messiah is expected. They're saying he's the Messiah. Because they're saying, stop your people from saying those things. And Jesus says, I can't. If they stop, the rocks will start crying out. They will be singing, Hosanna. There are several things that take place before, we, before he enters Jerusalem. Um, and I think that this is very insightful because when we read the Bible, how many of us just kind of read the triumphal entry? We read it three times today. And wow, I've read that a bunch of times. How many of us, we've read it a bunch of times, right? Have we thought about what came before? Have we ever thought about what came before the triumphal entry? Well, I'm going to help you think about that today. <laughs> you guys are probably thinking, oh yeah, Jim, we figured you'd do something different. Yeah. I don't know. It's my way, I guess. 
Anyway, what happens in Matthew? Well, in Matthew, Jesus does what? He gives sight to two blind men, right? You remember that story? Yeah. And what I find so interesting about it is that in the story, they're yelling, hey, son of David, have mercy on us. They're just trying to get his attention because they're just, they're unable to really move around without the help of someone. And they're just yelling out saying, you know, I've got a shot. I've got a shot. I'm going to take it. Jesus, please. Son of David. I mean, I'm sure that they're pulling out all the stops, so to speak. And what does the crowd do? You're annoying us. Stop. Don't yell. Everyone else is yelling, but you guys don't yell. You're undesirable people. And what does Jesus do? He stops. He goes over there and he asks them, what can I do for you? And they said, we'd like to see. And he gave them their sight. Boom. Sight. (laughs) And we really think the cement is going to stop the Messiah? Really? (laughs) Here he is. He just gave sight to two blind people. Their eyes do not work. He gives them sight. And they get up, and what do they do? They follow him. Wouldn't you? You bet. I'd say the Messiah's come. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Now, John does something a little different in his gospel. What does Jesus do before the triumphal entry? He raises Lazarus from the dead. Think about this for a second. Not only is this guy dead, he's four days dead. Um, Have we ever had like a rat die uh, in your attic? I'm sorry. It's the only thing I can think of. Um, uh, Maybe a mouse. Something's passed away down the street like a jackrabbit or something. I don't know. Um, but you can smell it for miles, can't you? I mean, and we're just talking a little body. Now, we're talking about a guy that's four days dead. We're not talking kind of dead. We're not talking mostly dead. (laughs) That maybe Miracle Max could somehow save. No. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about someone that he's dead. He's, He's really dead. He is so dead, I just... I. I love Martha. He's been, dead for, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. You are absolutely right. Please don't open that. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't open it. Now we're talking about a dead person. What happens to, what happens to cells when cells die? When a cell dies, is there any way to restart a cell? Is that possible? To restart the cell? Thank you, Steve. Steve's back there going, the big N-O. No. It's physically impossible. It goes against all the laws of physics. 
the cell's dead, there's no way to save it. No way. No possible way. But, <laughs> but Jesus, really, that's what I need to say. I could just end it there. But Jesus, that's it. <laughs> and Jesus says, roll the stone away. And I find this interesting. He asks her, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? What high price Christ puts. <laughs> Fly. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing price that Christ puts on, on faith, on belief. That's what it hinges on for all of us. We have to place our faith in Christ. We have to... We have to believe that his words are right. That's what we have to believe. And we're placing our eternal salvation, and wherever we go, we're placing that in his care. That's, that's faith. And he says, if you believe, didn't I say that you would see the glory of God? What is the glory of God? He brings one who's dead whose cells are no longer functioning and brings them all back to life. And I'll bet when he got out, he probably went, whoa, those wrinkles are gone. <laughs> that's, that's cool. <laughs> and it, it always makes me laugh when I, when I think of Lazarus because really, the, the, the authorities come and try to threaten him. What are you going to threaten Lazarus with, really? Seriously. What are you going to threaten him with? Well, we'll kill you. I mean, Lazarus is like, yeah, I've been there, done that. And I know someone who brought me back to life, and so I'm not worried about your words. Now, that should make us a little more bold, shouldn't it? Because we, too, are like Lazarus. And maybe that's what Jesus is saying, is that not only did he raise him from the dead, Maybe that's what he's doing for us. Because I said it's going to change us on a fundamental level. He brings us back. We are dead. Before we come to Christ, there is no life inside. We are dead. And the Bible refers to us as being dead. And yet, he brings us back to life. He changes us fundamentally. Now Luke, in his uh, passage... Uh, what does he talk about? He talks about the parable of the king and the ten servants. Do you remember that? Um, and Jesus tells this parable. He says, A nobleman is called away to a distant empire. I love this. To be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten servants and divided among them the ten pounds of silver. And he said, Invest this for me while I am gone. But the people in his kingdom, they hated him. And they sent a delegation after him. And they said, we don't want you to be our king. But it's interesting that he goes on and he says, after he was crowned king, <laughs> he returned and called the servants um, into account, basically. And was asking them, and the first servant said, 
I have taken your money and I have gotten ten times the amount. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He goes to the second servant and very similar reaction. He goes to the third servant and the third servant says, well, I buried it. I buried it and, I, um, and I'm giving it back to you. This is, this is what you gave me. Because I know you're a hard man. Who, who, hold on here. Hold, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are the words being used? The words that the two servants are saying, here's what we've done. Here's what we've done for you. Is there any me in that? Here's what I've done for you. This is what I've kind of got from my investments. This is, this is the best I could do. Right? But what's the third? He's saying, well, you know, I know you're a hard guy, and I don't, I didn't want, you know, you to be angry with me. So I just buried it and gave it back to you. Wow. He's more concerned, it seems to me that he's more concerned about himself, isn't he? I mean, I think that if he would have invested it and invested it poorly, I think that maybe Jesus would have said, at least you tried and you did something with it. But he buried it. Now, the, as for this, um, I think that this is interesting because the first two are more centered around the master and what, here's yours. This is what you gave me and this is what I could do with it. That's the best I could do. And then the third is like, you know, I don't want you to hate me. I don't want you to be mean to me. Which I find is more self-centered, isn't it? Don't you find that to be a little more on the self-centered side? I do too. So, what is the treasure? What is this treasure? What is this money? What is this silver that Jesus is referring to? What is it? Well, in Acts 1.8, I, I, I couldn't help myself. I had to write it like this. Before Jesus was called away to his distant empire to be crowned king, because that's what happened, right? He is the king. He was just going back. He was leaving our world, and he was going to go back to where he, on, on the throne of God. He's, he's God. And so... He ascended. So before Jesus ascended, he told his people, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, even to the ends of the earth. So what is this money? What is this treasure? What is this? It's the fundamental change. We're supposed to share that with others, right? that Jesus can fundamentally change you right here, right now. Right? And you'll be changed forever. And, did, and when we look at Israel's history, did Israel, was that what the prophets were saying to Israel? Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the nations. Were they a blessing to the nations? 
Or did they turn it into a club? They used to belong to the club. And if you belong to the club, then you're going to be okay. But if you're not in the club, uh, and they weren't a blessing to the, to the nations. And the prophets kept coming to them and saying, please turn from your ways, please turn. From your ways, please turn. From your ways, please turn. From your ways. Oh no. Please turn from your ways. Please turn for hundreds of years. And the people did not listen. And so Jesus said, this is enough. And he he, um, he does something that the Jews would never expected. He allowed the Gentiles to become a part of his people. And the Gentiles, for those of, of us that aren't really familiar with that term, that's us. That's everybody that's not a Jew. That's a Gentile. So, what happens is that um, Jesus opens the gate so to speak. He opens the gate wider for more people to come in. And this time, he puts on the tree, he grafts on the tree the Gentile branch, the, the, the Christians. And they will be a part of his people. And I praise God that he did that. So my next question to you is this. What is your identity? What is your identity? Who are you? How about if I ask this question? People that are at your work or around you most, who would they say you are? Who would they say you are? We all want to be the good servant, right? Hey, we're the ones that made up. Hey, I'm the one that made up the ten, <laughs> ten times. <laughs> I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the bad servant. I want to be the servant, okay, I'm not going to maybe ten times. I'm just going to be happy to share the gospel with whoever I can whenever I have opportunity. That's really what I want to do. I want to share the gospel. I want to look after the king's interests. Sometimes we think we might look uncool if we talk about Jesus. Or that's not fashionable. Or that's not very politically correct. You're right. It's none of those things. But Jesus calls us to take that investment and to share the gospel with whoever he brings our way. So I don't mind if I look uncool (laughs) to share the gospel because the gospel, why wouldn't I share it with people? I mean, what we're talking about is setting people free. Setting people free. We're going to help set people free. People are trapped in their sin. You know it. You've gotten in trouble, right? We've all been in trouble. And I'm a teacher, and when kids come to my class, and they're in my class, and they, yeah, they talk one too many times, right? Okay, so they get their recess taken away. They can actually come up and ask for grace. 
And you know what? I'll give it to them. And they get their recess back. Do you know how happy their faces get when they get their recess back? I mean, they're all like, oh, I have to go to detention. I don't get to play. And then you go, and then they go, could I have, could I have grace? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, why would I give you grace? And they're going, and, they're, and they've been paying attention. They go, you're a Christian. That's why you give grace. I'm like, right on. Go race your name off the board there. You can go and play. I can play. Yeah. Come on. You guys have all felt that way, right? Haven't we done something wrong? The policeman pulled us over. Come on. Not too long ago, yeah, a policeman was following me, and he followed me right into the parking lot of the school. That's kind of a bummer. Because I'm thinking, this isn't going to look good. Hi, Tommy. (laughs) Hey, Mr. McGuire, there's a policeman right there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I got out of the car, uh, and I said, I I, I was on the wireless phone talking to my wife, and I said, hey, honey, I got to go. I got a policeman in the back of me. <laughs> so I get off the phone. I get out of the car. I grab my bags. And he goes, running late, huh? And I go, yeah, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and I thought, I was done. I was going to get a ticket. I mean, I've never once had anyone ever let me off of a ticket. And the guy looked at me and he goes, try not to weave in and out of traffic too much, okay? I said, I will. And he said, all right, have a good day. And I said, I reached out, and his arm was out the window, and I said, God bless you. Thank you. And off he drove. Yeah, no ticket! (laughs) You felt that way before, haven't you? Haven't we all? We're busted, right? Right? We've been busted about stuff. Well, unfortunately, that's our life. Naturally, we're busted. That's the way it is. We're all busted. And Jesus knows it. Because he knows our thoughts. He knows where each hair that's fallen off our head is all over the world. He knows where every hair of everybody's head over all of time is. And where it's floating to because the wind comes and blows them around. He knows all that stuff. So he knows what you're thinking. He knows what we're doing. We're not hiding anything. We're busted. Totally. As busted as busted can be. Now, why wouldn't we want to go and tell that person, hey, it's okay if you're busted. Guess what? I know about this guy. He gives grace. (laughs) And he'll let you off. What? <laughs> Are you serious? You can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. It's okay. It's all right. I love this. I love the, I love you guys. I love all your guys' interactions and when you're saying amen and stuff. I love that. Thank you for doing it. Uh, praise God. But we are all busted, and why wouldn't we want to share? Hey, I know this guy. He can unbust you. He can set you free. He can set you free from yourself that you can't get away from. He can set you free. 
Why wouldn't we want to share that message? That should motivate us. That should motivate us. Like the blind man, Jesus gives sight. I was blind once, and he gave me sight. Praise God. Just like Lazarus, we are dead, and all of the people we know around us are dead. They are busted. We have a message for them. We need to share that message. And it's funny that Jesus says in in John 15, I leave this command with you, that you love one another. What greater love could a person have than to go and tell someone that is busted that, they, that I know a guy and you can be free? Praise God. And then he also says something else in John 15, 7. And I don't have this on a slide, and I'm sorry. But Jesus said, if you remain in me, And my words remain in you. If you remain in me, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, we're no longer busted. We're free. Praise God. So that was John 15, 7 and John 15, 12. I would like to um, close this in prayer while the worship team comes up. Dear Lord Jesus, you are great. You are greater than great. You are beyond any thing we could possibly imagine. People saw you coming in to the gate and they thought, you're going to save us from the political system. But Lord, we are so, so thankful that you transcend all political systems, all things, and you wanted to save us from our deadness, being dead. You wanted to bring sight to us, the sightless. You wanted, to un, you wanted to set us free from our own selves. You are great. And Lord, I'm glad I know you because I know a man. I know you. I know Jesus. He will set us free. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free. And Lord, if there's anybody in here that you are tugging on their heart for some reason to want to be set free, bring them on up front. I'd love to talk to them. Pray with them. Or bring them to any of their friends or anyone that they know here that might be able to pray with them. Because, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.